Hello, friends. And welcome to The Magic of Mamahood. We are your hosts, Stephanie and Caitlin. In this podcast, we talk about all things mom. We are on a mission to empower moms one episode at a time with holistic and real approaches to fitness, pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. Join us as we craft the pages to the manual of mamahood together. Hi guys, welcome to our podcast. Today we have Dr. Dan Singley on to talk about mental health for fathers. We found Dr. Singley in researching therapists that dealt with postpartum depression in men. He is a trailblazer in that arena, and so we knew we needed to get him on here to listen to his perspective and to bring awareness to something that we didn't even know truly existed. Dr. Singley, um, welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and your passion for helping men in the transition to fatherhood? Sure thing. Uh, I appreciate y'all having me on, and... So I guess my uh, my elevator pitch is so I'm a I'm a uh, licensed psychologist. I'm here in San Diego, have a uh, group practice called the Center for Men's Excellence, where we do individual and couples and groups, and we do a lot of work with men, as you might expect. I also have an ongoing program of research that looks at paternal perinatal mental health or the dude to dad transition, and I do you know. We research and we publish and, and uh, do you know, training and consultation and uh, sit on boards that are relevant to that area. And we teach dad's classes for expected dads. Cool. That's awesome. That's so, that's it, really cool. I think it's fun. It keeps me entertained, you know. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, I, I was reading your um, your bio on your website and the dad the dad class looks so awesome. I wish my husband had that when we first when we when he became a dad with to my first. That's awesome. Yeah. I do love that. We're really excited to hear your perspective yes. <laughs> and hear all about your research. But we want to start with weekly wins. So, Stephanie, what is your weekly win this week? Um, I want to say my weekly win is, um, I, I teach exercise classes and this whole week I taught all the entire week. Um, and I was able to bring, I brought all my kids to, to teach class with me and they all behaved, uh, uh, really, uh, really well. They were really good. Yes. That's <laughs> a huge that win. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Dr. Dan, what about you? What's your win this week? Yeah, what's what, what's my weekly win? <laughs> um, yeah, one would be so my uh, you know I got two teenagers now I got sixteen and or seventeen and fourteen and last oh. night uncharacteristically my my seventeen year old comes I'm like you know lying in bed reading like the old guy that I am and he just kind of <laughs> came and curled up and hopped in and was like hey can I hang out with you for a little bit oh. Yeah, but the, the win, yeah, it was just totally awesome. Love it. The win for yeah. me was I avoided my, like, Caucasian tiger dad, like, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? You know? Did you do this? <laughs> I almost always go into. And it's yeah. like, just kind of hanging with them and like, hey, man, it's good to see you. Like, I think I'll count that as a win. That's oh, awesome. And you that. have you have two boys, right? I do. Oh, that's so fun. Okay. That is awesome. I So my weekly win is a little bit similar. So it poured this week one day and it was only like my first daughter had gotten home from the school bus. And I was like, we have four hours until bedtime. So <laughs> that's a lot of time to fill. So I left my phone at home. They got their rain boots on and we went and jumped in puddles all in the neighborhood. And then they made mud pies and it was just simple and nice. And I got to break away from my tether, aka my phone, for a bit. <laughs> That's amazing. I love yeah. all, all of our wins had to do with our with our kids too. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yes, I love it. Well, that's a great segue into our questions. So, Doctor Singley, I do have to say we got the most questions from listeners for you than we've gotten so far. Uh -oh. Yeah, I better, which is, I better be on point here. 
<laughs> Which is really exciting. Um, our first bit of questions actually come from a male who experienced postpartum depression. And um, he experienced it probably in a time where I don't think there's a lot of awareness now, but I think there was even less when he went through it. So I'm going to jump right in with some of his questions yeah. and we have some overlaps. But the first one is, can you talk about society's perceived expectations of what a father should be and how that may affect men from the time they learn that they are expecting? Yes. So this is a really good question and it's tricky because it's changing. Mm. So broadly, broadly speaking, you can think about sort of gender roles as moving, moving toward each other slowly, but mm-hmm. masculinity and, and sort of what it means to be a man continues to shift, but it's a sort of, it, it's very much, you know, 40, 50 years behind what what the, the, the changes and sort of societal awareness that's come with the feminist movement and women's liberation and so on. And one of the places that I see society's expectation of men and giving them permission to be different than that sort of stereotypical like guy guy, right? Independent, tough, uh, uh-huh. and so on, is in the area of fatherhood. Like nobody's gonna stand up and be like, dude, it's cool not to be not to be an involved dad. Like pretty much nobody's on 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 board with that. The thing right. that's yeah. is you don't see as much of that for fathers of infants. You don't okay. see as much of that around fatherhood and recognition of the huge um, identity shift that goes along with male, male-identified parents before, during, and after birth. And, and the societal expectation of men to be much more involved as parents, mm-hmm. to do that around birth and, and with an infant, you got to violate all kinds of guy code rules like the, the bro code really bumps up against a lot of what you're asked to do being a good partner you know sort of having a give and take the serve and return with the, yeah. with the other parent not going out with the guys staying home changing diapers like all of them mm. so I, I to me it, it very much starts around then that shift of identity it's just guys these days are caught and this goes back to what you said about the dad that may have experienced depression but it was, it was, you know, it, years ago. Well, guys that are having babies now, stereotypically yeah. their own parents were not all that involved with them around the infancy. And so uh-huh. if they go on their model and they get stressed, that's what they're going to do. And it's very confusing. And I see that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I know that's a lot to unpack. Like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> oh, just like thinking about... That's a good question. I got excited. No, it is a good question. Um, so, so, okay, so this kind of segues into what we were just saying about emotions, but um, what are some thoughts and emotions that men may go through during the different stages of pregnancy to delivery? A lot of that has to do with how they came about the pregnancy. Like, was the guy excited about mm-hmm. having kids? Was this related to, like, did the couple experience infertility and, and after six years of IVF, then yeah. they you know, were able to get pregnant or had they experienced maybe a, a loss or a miscarriage, probably like a lot of that and 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 the the nature of the relationship with with the other partner, with the, the other parent impacts mm-hmm. that hugely. Like I mean one of the ways that you can also kind of rely on is if you ask a bunch of expectant dads in a room, which I periodically do, like, hey, like what's what what part of being a dad strikes you? You will oftentimes get this sort of protect and provide thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. I got I gotta make money. I gotta be solid. Sometimes they'll get more into it and be like, I gotta be a better dad than my own dad was. How am uh-huh. I gonna handle the work life stress and all that? You know, am I ever gonna be like important to my to my partner again? Like those sorts of things are, are very, very common. Yeah, that a, a lot of you know worries come up. Some of them are pragmatics, but there are also other like relational ones that guys have varying levels of ability to cue into or talk about. Yeah, yeah. and from your experience, how do most men cope with these expectations and these emotions that they feel? 
So I am given to making sweeping sexist generalizations about guys. And they're usually based on a whole lot of research uh, and or uh, a lot of experience. It, it is very difficult to say sort of generally how they react in that way because it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, and so I say that because so I do a good amount of like consultation with with clinics or health organizations or maternal mental health clinics um, that want to engage the dads. And sometimes what I'll see is the attempt to engage guys as if they're this monolithic group, like expected dads that, and it, you know, sometimes it's kind of like funny and well-intentioned, but it can also be a little off-putting if the general assumption is guys are all ball scratching, knuckle dragging, you know, beer swilling, football watching, and, and yeah. you can put together a program or you can put together like a way of trying to talk with dads or expected dads that way. You're going to catch a good amount of them, but particularly these days, you're also going to alienate a good a good number of them that don't really identify like as being forward in that way in terms of like how they're becoming dads or what being a father means to them. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. That does make sense. Um, so what are ways that an expecting mother can help her partner open up about their thoughts or emotions since most men tend to bottle up their emotions? Speaking yeah. of sweeping generalizations, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, like when you when you do, you know, psychology of men and masculinity, of course, like you know, shutting down and putting up the wall and 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 self isolating and withdrawal and, and so on. You yeah. certainly see a lot of that, right? Um, okay, so the short version of the answer is: listen for metaphors. Pay attention to sort of nonverbals and be highly aware of how you, the partner, might be causing him to feel vulnerability and or shame in ways that you don't quite anticipate. Mm-hmm. So having done a lot of work with men, like and you, you can, once you kind of get a handle on, on, ways that guys can get triggered and have difficulty with the inevitable vulnerability that goes with being very, very close with someone, mm-hmm. like a partner, like a family member, like a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sensitive to how that can bring up anxiety and shame. A lot of what might look like really stupid or questionable behavior on guys' parts starts mm-hmm. to come into focus. And you're like, oh, that was just a boneheaded way of dealing with being freaked out by vulnerability. And so mm. I'm not trying to turn, you know, moms or partners like into their husband's therapists, but just recognize like he might not lose feeling words. Yeah. Like, he might not say like, I'm, you know, I'm feeling ashamed because we're bringing a baby into the world and I don't know if I'm able to provide for him in the way that my parents provided for me. Like that's a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, that's but a lot. Yeah. You're thinking it may be feeling it, but may not, may not be able to say it. Um, Sometimes it's just as easy as asking, like, how are you doing? Pause. Yeah. How are you really doing? Yeah. And then, no matter what he says, you don't shame him. You don't diminish it. You don't try to fix it. You just yeah. listen. And that yeah. can be super hard for the partner if he starts telling you about feeling upset. We're naturally usually drawn to want to try to fix it or do something. Uh-huh. But if you ask a question and you get an answer and you ask the follow-up question, then just leave it out there and just show gratitude that he was willing to show that to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. really, I'm sorry. I'm, I always say this, but I'm sitting over here just like drinking it all in. So if we ever have <laughs> awkward pauses, it's yeah. because we're trying to like absorb it because, you know, it's just, We talked last week with a mental health counselor on postpartum depression and perinatal mood disorders Mm -hmm. in women. And so it's just so striking some of the things that are different, but at the heart of all of it, it's just that same vulnerability and shame. And I don't know, it's just, it's crazy. Mm So, oh, go ahead. Well, just say, it is, it's brutal. Like when you, when you look at the factors that tend to set the stage for it to, to start like personal history or difficulty in the relationship, lack of sleep, like yeah. genetics and so forth, like 
uh, moms and dads have much more in common than they do, like the prevalence rates. Mm -hmm. One thing that does tend to look a little different is oftentimes the way that men will express depression, including postpartum depression. So instead of that more sort of vegetative, can't get out of bed, openly suicidal or sort of weeping in the corner, a lot of times men will express depression, including postpartum depression, by showing extreme irritability. Uh frustration, irritability, sometimes up into rage, Um, Uh showing an increase in drinking or using drugs or or more broadly like dopaminergic behaviors, you know, risky sex, playing video games, masturbation, cheating, like these sorts of things, gambling. Um, The third is isolating and, Uh and, or more being isolated, which means you can be around people, but very, very withdrawn. Maybe getting up and going to work, but he's not engaging. Maybe around people, he's mm. there, but he's not mm. really engaging or connecting. Really common ways that guys will experience depression, women will as well. It's just when we talk about masked male depression or major depressive disorder male type, like those are, that's a constellation of symptoms that you tend to look for in men. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you just wow. touched on this a little bit. Um, in answering or going into that, but what are some of the most common reasons for postpartum depression in men that you've seen? Okay, this is a very robust finding in in the literature. The number one strongest predictor of postpartum depression, as different from like anxiety, but talking postpartum and talking depression, number one predictor is his partner has depression. Mm. Oh, wow. yeah, listen to the figures on this. One in 10 dads gets postpartum depression, right? 10%. Wow. When his partner has postpartum depression, one in two dads. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. 50%. Yeah. And so, and again, several meta-analyses have shown this very, very consistently. And his partner being depressed is a stronger predictor of him developing postpartum depression depression than is he him having a uh, uh, his own history of depression oh and wow that really points to the centrality of the relationship to both members mental health because it goes the other way she's uh-huh. like, better so does he if he like you you could, like the rising tide can float both boats yeah. Uh, wow. Um, so, I didn't. That's a that's a really high statistic. I on that's. I'm like really shocked about that statistic. Wow. Yeah. And are men that have, have suffered postpartum more likely to face the same issues with future pregnancies? Oh, uh, if one thing I got to say is there are other factors as well, right? Okay. Systematic points: the loss of sleep, um, um, hormones impact. Um, both women and men. There's now plenty of research on this to show that like changes in testosterone and estrogen and vasopressin and oxytocin and so on, cortisol themselves do predict um, uh, the development of, of depression in men as well as women. Um, so there are a lot of, it's, it's a biological, it's a psychological, interpersonal, there are a lot of different factors, but those two stats I gave you about his partner and then one in 10 get it, like those are really important to understand. And it's yeah. a, a huge public mental health number. So yeah. I just had to speak to that. Yeah, wow. that's crazy. That is. Um, so what are some ways to help a father deal with the guilt and shame of going through postpartum depression and feeling like they missed out on memories and bonding during that critical time of infancy? It's a long question. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's, again, it's a really good one. And yeah. Sadly, when somebody's in it, independently of their gender, when somebody's really in it in terms of postpartum depression, they think they suck, the world sucks, the future sucks. They have crap-colored glasses on. Their baby thinks they suck. They're not attached to them. It's it's just awful. It's very all-consuming. Thankfully, there are things to do about it. but I've worked with a lot of dads that, that are that have ongoing guilt about I, I didn't feel attached to my baby. I, I was there, but I wasn't there for the first 
year or so and then they're really sort of vigilant about like well the kid's not doing this i think that's because i wasn't very involved the kid's doing this and they get or yeah there's resentment enduring resentment from his partner about ways that he was or wasn't mm. and with those dads when they're in it as much as possible just trying to express love and kindness and and that it's not their fault and that this yeah. isn't something that they would have chosen and that it's not that not feeling connected to their baby is inherently doing something bad or wrong like attachment attachment is an ongoing lifelong process and there's a lot of plasticity in individuals and our you know, biology and relationships and and so on but i mean if it, if it keeps up and it's really persistent like ideally getting him so he can talk to other guys that have experienced the same thing tends to be really transformative we're getting him information that says here's what you're experiencing dudes get this it's not mm. just 10 percent mm -hmm. all other resources like i've worked with a, a nonprofit called postpartum support international for a long long time yeah to facilitate a, a dad's chat on a monthly basis and we've got all kinds of resources for dads but I hear over and over again, like, I just didn't think, I thought this was a mom's thing. And sometimes uh -huh. just getting that and seeing this is a thing and here's some of the resources for it. Here's like a, uh, like a, a phone call that's anonymous that you can pop into. By the way, they're really well validated evidence-based therapies, uh -huh. medication, like all kinds of different ways to manage it. Yeah. But he, when you're depressed, you're not motivated. So he may not want to do that stuff. So at a minimum, just kind of saying, hey, like, I like I want to understand this help me to understand you but don't try to talk him out of it like it, it doesn't matter if it's a mom or a dad if somebody tries to minimize how bad you feel uh -huh. it makes you feel worse generally yeah. what you're looking for is empathy like hey that sucks I'm sorry to hear that like I'm here for you and if there's anything I can do let me know but it, it's a willingness to kind of get down in the well with them and not just try to minimize or fix or, or get the cowboy up kind of thing. Yeah, that validation is huge. I I suffer from postpartum depression as well. And, you know, you hear a lot of, oh, it's just the baby blues or, you know, you'll be fine. Like just get through this first six weeks or get through this time. And validation is such a big part of the healing process, I think, personally, in my own experience. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine too, and I know you've seen this, but this being such a new, seemingly new finding, how many dads have felt that way, you know, and we have more support, I think, for women. And this is one question that I thought was really good is like, with women, we have postpartum appointments. Um, yeah. So we have those those questionnaires we fill out for those red flags and things. But what do we have for men to find those red flags if they don't have that postpartum appointment? Yeah. And so this gets into a, a bigger soapbox that I tend to get up on. Yeah. Oh, good. Please get on it. When you look at larger groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics or, or the College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists or Perinatology and so forth, like, they have standards about assessing typically moms throughout uh -huh. pregnancy and then, you know, for a well baby visit and, and so on. And, and a, a colleague of mine, Craig Garfield, he's a, he's a pediatrician at Northwestern. And he's written extensively for the American Academy of Pediatrics, making the argument that those postpartum assessments really need to be for all parents, that, that, that this is not like gender specific, that this because because of what the research has shown consistently that providers that in particular pediatricians are in a, a much better position say relative to like OBs would be guys to to actually get at both parents and so one of the ways like when I'm when I consult with different clinics or organizations that are looking to better engage dads one of the ways that I'll talk with them about it is to set up your website, your information, your waiting room, the people at the front desk, the technicians, the nurses, to come from a place of, we expect both parents to be at every every visit. 
that may present mm -hmm. logistical difficulties. Maybe we'll do something later on because somebody has to work or something or, or earlier or, but to set the expectation that both parents will attend, not just because both parents are important to the process, they are, but also because we want to be able to talk with them and assess them. Then you run into all kinds of logistical issues. Well, if we have an electronic health record for the baby and the mom pops on the Edinburgh postpartum depression, well, do we put that in the, in the baby's chart? If the dad does, are we putting that in the baby's chart? If, uh -huh. if one of them shows depressive or they're suicidal, do we know the community resources to send them to? And so unfortunately, a lot of times the path of least resistance is, yeah, we'd love to, but we don't have the resources to do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. So that needs to be. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. That's crazy. Yeah. All right, come up. Well, let's all get up on the soapbox together, y'all. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do I it. know. Let's now I'm like ready to rally. All right, Screen the dads. <laughs> in all seriousness, like this is, it's a point that I make over and over and over again. But it's also one that, in all fairness, most people they just haven't thought about. Yeah. yeah, I truly did not think about that question until one of our listeners asked it, and I was yeah. like. You're right. And I know someone personally who dealt with this and still that was not something that came to my mind. So you're right. We need to change the conversation and we need to make that something that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, it's such a taboo topic. I feel like, cause like you said, like men are supposed to be this like macho men when they have babies, but like, it's a huge change. It's a huge life's change, you know? So mm -hmm. I completely agree. That's so crazy that there's no like, there's no checkup for like a father. Wow. Yeah. And um, our next yeah. questions are mostly about that transition to fatherhood. So from, you know, learning you're expecting until the baby's yeah, born and then right after. Um, so along the lines of, knowing that that companionship with your partner is so important, especially hearing that data on if a mom has postpartum depression, 50% of dads will also have it. That's crazy. Yep. But what can you do to handle dividing the parental duties as the new baby comes into the picture? Okay. So <laughs> one, of the, one of the things, one of the services that we offer um, at our clinic, we call it the, uh, uh, expected couples booty camp. It's like it's basically a, oh. it's just a nice opportunity to get to use the word booty in a professional context. That's been a, <laughs> a dream of mine. Uh, but usually it boils down to like four or five focused strategic sessions on how to do exactly this. And some of the resources we use are like sort of preset list of questions. We, you know, we call it the postpartum game plan, but you do it antenatally and it's talking over some areas that you might not have thought about, might be blind spots. Um, we've got several resources um, that I that I think are really, really helpful. And one of them gets at this mental load question and that sort of drift of responsibilities that will that will often come up. And for, you might be familiar with like there's a there's an approach called fair play. Mm -hmm. if, you know, there's a, there's a book and there are the cards and you get so th this isn't, what I do isn't exactly like that, but it gets at the same idea. And so for this tool is called the, I call it the family logistics meeting. And, mm. and the logistics meeting is the two of them, it's so important because so much changes logistically and you know operationally at the family level right before and certainly right after you have a baby, right? And so in the logistics meeting, what the two do, and I have a handout for this, I have handouts for everything. Um, they have to have a shared calendar. It can be, you know, like a whiteboard in your kitchen or, you know, an eye calendar or something fancy. It doesn't matter what it is, but they both have to have a calendar that they both have access to and then are able to add their stuff to. And then once a week, they have to sit down and go over the coming seven days, mm -hmm. day by day. What's okay. tomorrow? I got to be here. You got to be there. You got to pick your mother up from the airport. I got to get diapers. We got this appointment whatever it is. And to encourage couples, don't get into the, we're on parental leave. Like we don't have anything to do. Like that's just not true. Yeah. And, and you stop and take a look at it. And then it's like, okay, well, you're not trying to fill everything up, but it might be, I do the dishes here. We're going to be folding that there. 
whatever. But you go through the coming together, the coming yeah. seven days. And the mm -hmm. kicker here is they can't end the logistics meeting until both of them have added in at least something that is their own self-care. Mm. Oh, wow. That I love might, that. That might be I'm blocking out time to go walk around and, and I'm going to go uh, – get coffee with somebody or I'm going to take a bubble bath or I'm going to go play guitar or go for a quick surf or, or like whatever it is, but they both have to do this. And depressed people are terrible at this. Anxious people are almost as bad. Mm -hmm. they're not feeling, you know, everybody has guilt and shame and I'm not, I don't feel entitled to it and so on. But the logistics meeting has built into it. We must get some self-care and you got to start it before you have the baby. You can start it after the baby, but it's easier to do it beginning. So I'd love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Have to include the self-care now. The other so, intervention. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just asking. So you recommend doing like sitting down, starting a logistics meeting, like before you have a baby. So you can just, you, you like get into like the routine of it. Uh, and like yes. basically, right. Okay. hundred percent. Okay. Cool. percent. There's a, there's an all, like when you do this work, you get, you know, sort of, uh, kind of a gallows humor, but there's an old, there's an old joke for like in repro mental health, which is um, what's it like to, to uh, have a baby and be super depressed? It's like drowning and someone hands you a baby. Right? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's not when you want to start, right? Yeah. So if, particularly if there's like depression or anxiety or, you know, the kinds of things in the, you're more likely to be able to, to keep it going if you already had some momentum on yeah mm. yeah now separate meeting which is totally different like logistics meeting is about being partners yeah it's about mm -hmm. feeling like we're a team we're a partnership so the the other one and i ripped this off from john and julie gottman basically um, oh i love that i love them yeah. mm -hmm. so me too I, I, I use their stuff in couples therapy all the time and this is an example um it's it's called it's the state of the union meeting and in the state of the union meeting what the what the two do is on a weekly basis, but not on the same day as the logistics meeting. It's a totally different meeting. This is about okay. under understanding each other, right? Totally different. I tell them, don't even do it on the same day because you're trying to shoehorn them in the same meeting and they're both going to not go well because they do different things. Mm. In the State of the Union meeting, the two have to sit down and take five, but no more than 10 minutes to sit down and tell each other in order these three things. What's something I think is going well in our relationship? Two, what's something I'm having some difficulty with in our relationship? And three, what's something you, I'm telling you, my, my partner, my sweetie, what's something you did that helped me to feel loved, cared for, connected? So wow. this is relationship sandwich feedback, right? But yes. they both sit down mm -hmm. and tell each other, good, bad, good, about their relationship. And there are rules. If you have a 10-minute State of the Union meeting, you went really long. You are not allowed to start goal setting. You are not allowed to get defensive and explain. You cannot minimize what the other person said. Really, the only thing that you're allowed to do is to ask questions to better understand the other person's perspective. And you can't ask lame leading questions like, well, don't you think that? Because that's not actually a question. Uh, the uh, purpose uh. of the State of the Union meeting is to understand each other, but not agree necessarily. And that's what makes this oftentimes, it's like, it's very straightforward, not rocket science. Yeah. But you try sitting there listening to someone who's telling you things that are really upsetting and you think they're wrong and you think they're wrong about you and you don't contradict them. Like we are socialized to be the smart one, to talk first, to be, you know, like, I got to get in there and do this. And in the State of the Union meeting, you you have to wait six hours. You must wait a minimum of wow. six hours until after the State of the Union meeting until you're allowed to then circle back and say, hey, you know that thing you were saying about, like, me and, like, picking <laughs> up the trash and, like, and I think that means I'm a crap dad. Like, that was kind of upsetting to me. But, but you cannot do it in the State of the Union meeting. And that is to give both people the chance to cool off, mm -hmm. to process, to kind of let it set in a little bit, and then have a prayer of coming back and talking about it in a productive way. So I, that's amazing. Yeah, those are, those are the I two. I love that. Those two all the time. 
That's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that and I'm going to use it into my marriage. Cause that is amazing. <laughs> I know. I know. It's probably a growth area for me to, to have to like sit on something yes. <laughs> and then circle back. So it's very difficult. It's anxiety provoking. It's a, Oh play. yeah. Oh um, yeah. It's growth. Literally nobody does that. Certainly in the state of the union, unless, unless you're paying somebody a couple hundred bucks and to the fire on this, like nobody, does. couples don't do that. Proactive. No. Yeah. Really, just to be fair. Yeah. And, and you said, and you said that the state of the union meeting is something that you do. You said every week or you said every month. I was in week. week. Wow. Weekly. Okay. And okay. when using the state of the union meeting, I'm. I always tell people this. I'm much less concerned about how the first one goes than I am how the fourth one. Yeah. The first one, I'm like, go have a terrible first state of the union meeting. Like, make it take 30 minutes, get at each other's throat. <laughs> well, I'm basically saying, like, you're doing something new. It's okay if it feels weird or wonky or it goes off the rails. Fine. It's a new skill. You're trying it. By the fourth one, that's when you start to see the real beauty of that meeting because now the couple starts to see, hey, we've got a dedicated time to talk about this, and we've got rules of engagement. And by the time you get to the fourth, like between the second and third and the third and the fourth, between those meetings, they're both thinking, hey, I know what I know what made him feel really close to me. Or like, I know what was pretty upsetting to her or something that's bothering her about me. And you've heard now several of them and you start to spot themes. And the real magic of this thing is once you've done it enough times that you know it and you know it between the meetings and it can inform how you show up and be more mindful in the relationship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love that. That's really powerful. <laughs> I know. Here we are soaking it in again. That's, I'm sorry. I, that's the one. I, I hit, my, I hit in, in, in January 2016, I hit my thousandth dad, right, that I've worked with. Wow. Right? And I track these things. I like metrics. And that's the one, the State of the Union meeting, is the one that the most people have, like, emailed me. They're like, hey, we had the baby. Look at our kid. Um, that they'll follow up and say, and Doc, that State of the Union meeting thing, I heard that and was like, hell no. When the, when the, relationship, <laughs> was going, when the relationship was going badly, I wasn't going to poke that bear. And the relationship was going well, I didn't want to rock the boat. But, but I tried it. And the ones that do it, they come back and say, Doc, that was a game changer. That scared uh-huh. the crap out of me. Then we did it. And now it's like a North Star in our relationship. And I frame yeah. it to guys as, as a return on investment. You can do this yourself proactively and get over the awkwardness and the anxiety and not have to spend like 2,500 bucks on couples counseling down the road. Yeah. So why don't you do yourself a solid and save yourself some money and, and do it? <laughs> That's what would speak to my husband for sure. He's like, okay, all right, hey, we'll take that out of the with, budget meeting. <laughs> you work with men, you learn how to kind of be practical let's say. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's amazing. Like I, it's so, it's such a powerful tool. I'm definitely, I'm going to uh, like, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to go tell my husband about what we I know. About. I know. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll email you to the, uh, the, uh, the handout. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we love that. <laughs> um, well, I don't even know where to go from here. Okay. <laughs> we got to get back to questions. This is I know, great. That was so good. Um, okay. Okay. I guess this question kind of goes, it kind of flows with it. Um, so what exercises, and I feel like you've already mentioned this, but maybe you have something else, but what exercises can a man do to help build his confidence about their ability to be a good father? So prenatally go to all the visits and do, I mean, I know we're in COVID and the play, yeah, yeah. Now, but, but like go to the hospital tour talk with other guys that are dads that have become dads like start starting to really kind of like get their head in the game for that Mm -hmm. kind of of confidence and and to some extent like access resources but there's so many out there it's like intimidating and so usually for the guys i'm like just get a good app it just sends you a quick message that says you know here's what's going on through your baby is the size of a of a Mm -hmm. little and, and now <laughs> emails or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But just to like have that, but you don't have to go crazy on like reading what to expect, to expect, when you're expecting to, you know, and like that. Like, <laughs> if that's how you do, go for it. But like get get some information about like how the baby's developing and what that means. 
Now, yeah. postpartum, the real confidence to me comes from how, assuming it's a two-parent um, relationship, how are we going to co-parent together? Like, what's our serve and return going to be? And recognizing that it's likely to change. And mm-hmm. as soon as possible, the dad working to get alone time, caring for the newborn, the uh-huh. infant, as soon as possible. Not in a, like, give me the baby, you know, <laughs> but in a, like, hey, this is important to me. Like, the, the, the biggest way to get that kind of confidence is just by doing. Mm, and, yeah. And so the, the parents trying to work it so that he's able to do that. And I work with a lot. So in the literature, like there, there's the, the um, phenomenon is called gatekeeping, right? Gate closing uh-huh. or gatekeeping. Mater- it's usually called maternal gatekeeping, although some dads gatekeep. Um, and I've seen this over and over and over again. The dynamic is we're all socialized to believe that women are superior parents to infants than men are. Actually, uh-huh. research also says that gender doesn't matter. There are a bunch of other factors that are much more important. But that's what that's what we believe. And so if mom and dad disagree, again, heterosexual couple in this example, if they disagree, mom's right, dad's wrong. And if dad keeps wanting to do it, oftentimes it will ramp up mom's, I'm being very sort of uh, stereotypical and vague yeah, yeah. here, but uh-huh. a lot. Um, mom gets anxious and then starts to control dad's access to the infant, to the baby. He gets uh-huh. resentful. Their relationship starts to fray. She's less and less comfortable with him. She get, keeps more, and they get into this cycle of withdrawal and um, uh, irritation and, and anger. And so they'll come in, I, and I get to talk to them, and it's first, like, look, at, let's look at what's going on with the two of you. Let's do some reality testing. Let's look at the nature of anxiety. And then it's let's take slow, steady steps, right? The dad's like, I want the baby, and I'm going to go take a trip with the baby when he's never actually been alone with them. Like, that's not actually <laughs> The next day, <laughs> she goes and takes it takes a shower, and you're on the baby for 15 minutes. Yeah, and then in those 15 minutes, like you get the chance to like handle the kiddo, like do it do it your way. When she comes back, whole baby, baby didn't explode, cool. And then the next time, it's I'm gonna take the you know the pram, the, the stroller, take the baby around the block. Came back, baby made it, ten fingers, ten toes. Then maybe, you know, you're going to go out and run some errands. Put the baby in your five-point reinforced titanium harness seat. (laughs) Drive the baby around, come back. And you take slow, steady steps like that to allow the dad to have those interactions to to slowly develop. Some guys just hit the ground running, right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's that those are a couple of ways I think you can kind of help those dads to get that confidence. Those are, I mean, those are all really good ways. I, when we, when my husband and I fed my first and she never took a bottle or anything. So it was always mm-hmm. really hard on me. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time I ever went to go get my nails done. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave you with her. Like, you know, I was like ready to leave him. I gave him like, um, I gave him like a bottle to use whatever. And I went for the, an hour and a half. And I was like, I was so nervous. I was so nervous, but <laughs> I went <laughs> And I, I came back and he like, I came back home and everything was fine. She was asleep. Like she was like perfect. And I'm like, wow, like it just felt so good to give him that like time to be in connect with her. And I think it was such a powerful thing for him as well. Like he felt like he was like useful. Like he, he was like, okay, like I'm a dad. Like I can take care of her, you know? Yeah. I love it. And for you, right? Moms yeah. commonly get, have the experience of being just touched out. Yes. yes. I've got yes. the baby on me. I've got cracked nipples. The baby's constantly on me, particularly like in a scenario like yours where there, there wasn't the opportunity to just, you know, the, the, the freedom or the, you know, the decision to use a bottle. I mean, for you getting a, just nobody clinging on you and you get to go luxuriate a bit. Like, I love that story. That's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Win-win-win. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, and two, this kind of goes back to what you were saying about go to the hospital tour, go to, we did this um, baby 101 class at our pediatrician's office before we had our baby. And I, you know, I had read all these books and done all of this stuff. And I just didn't realize where my husband was mentally until after we left, they had said a few things like, 
<laughs> um, one lady shared this story of how a woman in a grocery store touched her baby and that stuck with him. He was like, we got to get one of those covers. Like we can't have people like touching the baby. <laughs> and then another thing was um, the head, like how you need to rotate the baby's head so their head isn't flat. Well, yeah. after I had my first, I had a C-section, so I mm -hmm. wasn't going anywhere fast. Mm -hmm. But my husband says, okay. I set a timer for 30 minutes. <laughs> I'll rotate her head the first time and then I'll set it again if you want to get up. And I'm like, I'm not getting out of this bed right now to rotate oh, her yeah. head. He's going doula. He's a doula. <laughs> He's going rotating. That's awesome. Oh my that God. his head in the game. Yes. Yeah. I I mean, to, to your point, that stuff came up when he went into like protect, provide, anticipate mode, but he just right. hadn't done that before until he went to that. A yes. Yeah. Example. Yeah, yeah. So you just you never know what they what they're feeling until those moments come. So yeah, and like you never know what they like absorb because those are two very random things to like. Yeah. So yeah. Say yeah. <laughs> the nurse was like, "Her head's not going to be flat if it's like a couple hours. It's okay." <laughs> so go back to what I said about you cannot be close to someone without being vulnerable to. Yeah. yeah. We don't oftentimes, men, parents, but certainly like dads who, who oftentimes struggle with the whole vulnerability thing anyway, we don't recognize how vulnerable we're going to be to this little, this little being. And yeah. the process, and, and this, this goes way beyond like just, it, it's different for different kinds of um, families and fathers, but the realization that I'm supposed to protect and provide this little highly vulnerable thing makes me hugely vulnerable mm -hmm. to my kid. And, and when you start expanding on that for different kinds of groups, like for example, I've worked with a number of um, African-American dads who themselves had experienced racism and, and microaggressions and straight up aggressions, and they're about to have a little boy. And mm -hmm. they know for a fact, they're not gonna be able to prevent that little boy from experiencing some of what they did and the vulnerability that they are anticipating that he's gonna experience, like that kind of uh, like transgenerational anxiety mm -hmm. and up into trauma. It's, it's, it's oftentimes guys just don't have the, the words to be able to tap into that kind of stuff and, and, and talk it out. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, that's so loaded too, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, um, along those lines, gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think of where to even go next because I'm trying I to mean, absorb yeah. that and see. But how can we, you've kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but let's talk about paternity leave, for instance. So we talked mm -hmm. about, you know, it's important for that dad to have one-on-one -on -one time with the baby so that, you know, that partnership is there in parenting. And also it's just important. But what are your thoughts on paternity leave as far as length of time or that sort of thing? Well, first, this is back up on my soapbox here. The United States is one of, is, is like second to worst of all mm. developed countries in terms of providing time off and paid time off for, for parents writ large. And yeah. it, there are all kinds of studies which show the benefits of having highly involved moms and dads that are able to sort of come into their own in terms of their identity, but also provide the hands-on, like, like what the UK gets and, and Sweden and the ability to like, you know, swap back and forth, have like a year's worth of paid um, vacation. That's not even close to what we've got. So my advice is wow. to the dads, take everything you can get from FMLA to whatever it is your company offers and about 50% of the dads actually do. So I work with a lot of guys that are in tech, um, government, the military, and they have varying degrees of control over what they're able to do. But like, for example, like guys in tech or, or the law attorneys, um, uh -huh. they will regularly say, yeah, you know, I can take my, my six weeks, but the problem is if I can leave my group for six weeks and then I go back, they're going to be like, what do we need you for? We get along like tech. That's like dog years. Yeah. yeah. And so that 
pull that sense of, well, I want to be a company man. I want people to, you know, I, I don't want to, or just the anxiety of how are people going to see me and, and are they going to think I'm not in it to win it? I'm not a go-to. Um, yeah. It, it, so my advice is take it. And if it's going to be tough to take it all together, there's a lot to be said for take like the first two weeks mm-hmm. right after the birth. Yeah. And mm. do you know, whatever you can. But then in another three months or so, take another two or three weeks. Because mm-hmm. or like six, five, six months down the road, like developmentally, a five, six month old baby is completely different than a new Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Like what and, and developmentally where they're at. And so I, I encourage them, take it all. But if you need to do some impression management, for example, at work, if they're employed outside of the home, um, kind of break it up like that. But don't not take it. I don't, the whole field of parenting education is basically built on anxiety. Like you have to use the Bradley method. You, have to use the <laughs> you don't do this. Like they're going to explode. They'll never get into Cornell or whatever it is. And <laughs> I don't do that. Like I just don't. I think it's a great disservice to the variety and diversity yeah. of backgrounds and family structures. Right. The only yeah. thing that I stand on is be engaged. And what that might look like for that dad in that family is going to vary a lot. But just don't be checked out. And a key way to be engaged and involved is to take that family. Yeah. Um, my, my husband, I'm just going to say this little quick story, but my husband, so when we had our third baby, it was during COVID. We had him last November and he had just started a brand new job. Like I want to say like a couple months, like maybe like four months in before we had him and he got six weeks paternity leave from this new job. But so he was like, there's no way I can do six at once. Like I can't do that. You know, he just just started. Yeah. (laughs) he He ended up doing uh, I think he, it was either two week increments. Like he w- he would take like two weeks and then like wait a couple months and two weeks and then wait a couple months or it was three weeks. Mm-hmm. It was one of those. But it was like it was so it was so helpful because I felt like it was like the first weeks were like crucial. Obviously, this was our third, so like I needed his help. But like it was so nice to have him like for another full two like present weeks. Like a couple months after that, like it was so nice. You know, like he got to know the babies in like a different like a different like age, like you said, like they're totally different babies. So that's like what you said is, is right. It's like, so it's powerful. Like each, like in, any way you take it is powerful. <laughs> and yeah. at the same time, the, the, the reality is there are plenty of dads, plenty of families who simply cannot afford to yeah. take mm-hmm. unpaid, unpaid leave. Like that would put them into a spiral, like paycheck to yeah. paycheck. They're both working two, three jobs. And I see plenty of that as well. And, and it's brutal. Yeah, it is. And it's such, you know, my husband um, is in nonprofits, but he was traveling three weeks after we had our second. And so I feel like the way our society is with just like everything is rushed and busy and fast. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm interested to see how COVID changes that if, if yeah. there is any lasting change. But mm-hmm. I do remember feeling very just let down with the fact that in order to keep up with his career, he had to just keep going, you know? So it's tough. It's Um, really hard on the guys. Like the pressure is insane. Like how much pressure they have to be with the family and to be like working, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. No, I work, I work with a lot of not just dads, like families that, that have that going on and People have concrete needs, like maybe, you know, the mom that is at home with baby and needs needs him, needs the partner to then be there and, mm-hmm. and be in contact and so on. While at the same time, like, yeah, a lot of times these dads just feel completely like, I'm not getting it done at work. I'm not getting it done at home. Like, yeah. I suck and I'm depressed. Kind of. yeah. yeah. Oh, well, in the paternity leave question, what are some things that um, fathers can do to feel more connected to their baby right away? Well, take the time to be with, like, try to get that alone time. Try to, like, mm-hmm. understand a little bit more about how infant development works. Like, you don't have to go read, but, but like, understanding, like, hey, you know, like, there's a tendency to be like, well, what can I do? Like, you know, all the baby does is eat and poop and sleep, and she's the one with the boobs, and I can't do anything. And <laughs> that's not true there's lots yeah. you know dads can can if, if they're using a bottle they can feed you can soothe you can swaddle you can bathe you can you know take them out you can mm-hmm. you know, and so on um, but oftentimes i find it really helpful to give the dads like a really clear like 
brief way of understanding how infants are developing, even during that fourth trimester. So if they understand that like intellectual, emotional, um, social, I mean, the motor stuff you see because they start to, oh, like they can grab and now they can't release or whatever. But helping dads to understand some of what's going on with their baby can then really clearly give them a sense of, oh, so then here's the way it's helpful for me to be engaged with my baby and gives them a shot of confidence about, well, if I know what's going on with them, then I know what I'm doing with them is on point. Yeah. I love that. And the swaddling thing took me right back to having my kids because my husband, like that was his job was to swaddle. And one time I came downstairs and he had this, like his phone and was taking pictures. I'm like, Oh, he's taking, he was like, look at my swaddle. I even got her monogram yeah. showing. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hashtag strong swaddle game. Sure. Actually, I, I had this awesome experience where, so I'm in San Diego. It's a huge military town. And um, uh, Camp Pendleton is a Marine base, and they had asked me to come up and, and do a dad's class for some of the some of the active member, active service dad. And <laughs> in the middle of it, so I bring these infant mannequins with me, and they practice. A lot of these guys, like, they've never swaddled a baby before. So they're, like, practicing yeah. the old-school burrito wrap on some infant yeah. mannequins. <laughs> and the thing that was amazing, and I got a picture of this, these Marines, like, they're Marines, so they're, like, yeah. into, they're hardcore, right? They're hardcore about everything. This right. guy gets up and he's like, I've never, you know, I've never done it before. And he like swaddles the baby and he's looking at it with like military, like look at the crisp lines. Well, he does it. And then the, the Marines around him, like they were in the class, form the semicircle and start like, hoo-ah, hoo-ah. <laughs> and you're getting all hardcore about it. He asks for a blindfold. I kid you. Oh my you gosh. A blindfold. Wherever the blindfold came from, I don't know. Now the dude is blindfolded with a bunch of like petite boy marines. Oh my god! And he's swaddling a baby. I was like, God, this is the world I want to live in. Oh my god, that is amazing. What? What? Like what brotherhood? I know. know. I'm loving that. It's like such a nice snapshot of like what I think being a man is. You know, like put together. Like I'm a warrior, and look at the nurturing. I love love that. Yeah, that is so awesome. That's amazing. Um, I can literally just picture that right now. I know, I know, I love it. It is so cool. I was like, I have never seen this before, and I bet most people haven't either. This is amazing. That's amazing. Um, I'm going to, this isn't the last question, but I'm just going to ask this because I think it'd be really interesting. Um, When do men realize that they're going to be a dad? (laughs) Ah, Okay. There's actually just a, um, a special issue of the, of the APA journal, The Psychology of Men and Masculinities, which I'm sure you both read cover to cover every month. <laughs> just yeah, tonight. you caught us. <laughs> it's, the June, it's the June issue, and it's all about um, fatherhood. And so for like a, a, a research and psychology dork like myself that's super focused on fatherhood, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to like shut everything down and just read this. Well, yeah. The, the, the main editors of it, one of the key points that they made, the theme that runs throughout all of this like cutting edge, brand new research on fathers is that basically that people don't understand how central the fatherhood role is to men. Mm. That it runs very, very deep, more deeply than we, than we really tend to think about it. And, and, when it becomes real varies a lot from conception to first saw the heartbeat to when we started talking about like we pulled the goalie and started trying to a a lot of the guys i'll tell you this for a lot of these guys it's when they did the hospital tour like Mm -hmm. and again with covid restrictions being what they are on a lot of these guys like it's virtual or whatever and that's one thing but it's different but when you do the hospital tour and you're like okay that's where i'm gonna park that's the door (laughs) that's the the uh, you know administrator that's gonna check me in that's where labor and delivery is that's where the or is this is what it smells like in labor and delivery ward like that kind of full-on sensory experience of it go, be it going to a birthing center or setting up if they're birthing at home, like whatever it is. But when they really get a look at here's where it's all going to go down, that's when a lot of these dads are like, 
okay, this is really on. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting that that's like the moment that yeah. they realize it. Pretty common. Yeah, and, 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 and because it's COVID and so many dads can't even get into like prenatal visits, let alone actually go do a hospital, you know, the hospitals have their own problems at this point. But it, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a real loss for that sort of kind of crash course beginning of that of that fatherhood identity. Yeah. yeah. We talked with um, an OBGYN a few weeks ago, and she and one of her colleagues wrote this handbook for pregnant or expecting moms, like what to expect every visit, because, you know, visits have changed so much. And now all I can think is like, yeah, they've changed for the women. They don't have their support person. But knowing all this about fatherhood, that's a huge shift for men, too, who are not allowed to be there. And that realization, I don't know, that's, I'm glad we're doing this episode so we can bring more awareness because I feel like this might be something that hopefully not, but I feel like COVID may heighten it because of the way that restrictions are. Yeah. I've talked with many, many dads that have had those sorts of experience. A lot of them, it's actually kind of tricky for me, like being who I am, and mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm a you know an overeducated, extroverted white dude. And so for me, going mm-hmm. around and, and doing podcasts like this one and saying like, hey, y'all, let's look for the dads. Like, there's, I will fairly regularly get pushback. Like, aren't you just kind of running the moms down? Like, and and absolutely not. Like, I don't in any way see this as like as a zero sum kind of a game. And right. Same and one of the main dynamics that you run up against in a field that's generally referred to as maternal health or maternal mm-hmm. mental health is mm-hmm. the dads are basically invisible and a right. lot of these dads feel invisible and certainly like understandable like like safety and protection you know um, protection protection protocols like sorry we can only have one person or like one support person and they were going to have a doula and so it's like well the dad or the doula like I've worked yeah. plenty of mm-hmm. we're trying to um feeling even less visible is a real gut punch to a lot of yeah. these. Yeah, even some like they're there. They're at like birthing centers tend to be more on point. Like yeah, in hospitals, it's like dad's not the patient. Dad never was the patient, and there are very as soon as that nurse shift changes, you don't know who's coming on or to what extent they they think he should even be there. Right. And there's a lot of that, and you know, and it's and it's tough. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> um, Caitlin, do you want to do want to want to finish it off with three takeaways? <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry, I'm still over here. Just I like, know you're, yeah. we're you're like ready to change paternal mental health. I'm like, let's. Hey, let's I will going. follow you into battle, sister. Let's All do right, it. let's do it. You might have to lead, though. I'm very yeah. small. <laughs> Fair uh, okay. So, with everything we've talked about, and this is you can take your time to think um, too. What are three takeaways for men and their partners that you would like them to get from everything we've discussed today about fatherhood and mental health? Oh, well, first is dads, you are very important to the health of your family, to your partners and to your babies beyond just providing material resources like there's a, there are volumes of research that shows that being highly involved as a partner and as as a, as a father even to infants predicts all kinds of outcomes for the health of the marriage and health of the relationship and the baby like more vocabulary more willing to explore the world uh better at emotional regulation less involvement with juvenile justice like all these things that we want for our babies like there are significant predictors between having a highly involved father and these outcomes that we want. So that would be point mm. one. Well, related yeah. point. Well, related point two is dads, you are entitled to keep yourself healthy. Mm-hmm. You need to keep yourself healthy and have an eye toward your partner and keeping the relationship healthy. And so the guilt of I can't go do some of the things that nurture me and that fill me up is not good for anyone in the long term about both people being able to look after their self-care even when there's depression anxiety substance stuff whatever it is but taking the steps to 
keep yourselves healthy. Like I'll talk to guys a lot of times and I'll use this term. Like you think about protecting and providing. Plenty of research supports the point that really what will benefit most, your partner and your baby, is if you provide them with the healthiest version of yourself. Yeah. We're not used to thinking along those terms, but if that means I got to pull the car over and, and, you know, change the tire here, talk to somebody, get some stuff straightened out, then do it. Yeah. And, and I guess third would be like, to me, that sort of bigger picture, like societal is if we do a better job of, of building stronger, more, more emotionally mature boys, that understand parenting as an aspect of manliness, then we're not gonna have to fix broken men and dads that are dealing yeah. with the gender role conflict of being a guy guy, but then also being an involved dad. I think those are my my three. Wow, those are amazing. And I love, I, every. I feel like every episode we've done comes back to self-care. So it's like, yeah. a, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Just affirming that over and over and over and not only for us as moms, but for our partners as well. So yeah. we appreciate. Oh, go ahead. Just for parents broadly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us tonight. This has been so fun and I truly have learned so much and Me i am too. definitely we're ready to follow you into battle for sure <laughs> oh, yeah, <because> we are. <laughs> these dads are so important so important yeah. and i want them to feel heard and seen as well so we appreciate you making us aware of things so that we can provide this awareness to others too and for spending time with us tonight yes. thank you <laughs> It was my pleasure. I super appreciate y'all having me on. One, one thing I want to leave you with is uh, for your listeners, if they're looking for resources ab about sort of what to do or for dads, uh, mm -hmm. I mentioned Postpartum Support International. If you go to our website, it's uh, postpartum.net, right there on the front page, it says like resources for dads. And that's for dads who themselves are struggling and information about dads whose partners are. So I strongly encourage folks to go get some Great. info if you know somebody that, that could benefit. Yeah, yeah, we will we'll link all of yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just gonna say that we'll link yeah. the show notes so that everyone has access to all this information. Yes. Cool. Oh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm a moron. Um, and I wrote a book. It's called Parental. Oh, oh. sorry. I'm not good at like I, I wrote a book with with one of my like very very close friends. It's called Parental Mental Health: Factoring in the Fathers. And it's oh, very wow. it's not for practitioners. It's got the steps of the family logistics meeting. It's got the State of the Union. And it, it's got very, very practical hands-on. So you can get it from Amazon or our website. What is the title of the book? I'm just going to, I want to, we want to write it down. It's called Parental Mental Health. Parental Mental Factoring Health. Factoring okay. Because the whole point being, let's not gender it so much. Like, let's talk about parents. Oh, I love that. Health. And so kind of pulling the dads in for that. Well, I'm definitely going to add that to my cart so we can yes. start that state of the nice. union. <laughs> nice. Give me a book report. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Singley. We hope you have a great night. And yeah, this was awesome. Yes, yes thank you so much. For the, for the great questions. It's been, it's really nice energy. I've, I, uh, I've really nice, enjoyed talking with you. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and spending time with us today. All resources and information can be found under our show notes and on our Instagram page at magicofmamahood underscore podcast. Let us know what topics you would like to listen to next and how we can meet you during your personal season of mamahood. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, or share with a friend. This will help us with our mission to empower mamas and women from all over. Talk to you soon.